trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. Glad you could be a part of our audience today. Look, I realize there are many different resources out there and places competing for your time and for your attention. So the fact that you actually clicked or that you are dialed in today and listening, that means the world to me. And as always, I want to do my part to make it worth your while. That's a lot easier when I have great guests like Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, great to catch up with you once again. Well, likewise, and I'm glad that we can hear each other because our voices aren't muffled by a face diaper. Oh, and we're going to spend some time talking about this. Uh, I, I, you know, of all the things dividing society, the the mask issue is. I, I mean, you thought uh, you know slavery was a divisive issue back in the day. I think it may have a, a competitor in our time. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's an even I think more distinct analog here uh, to go back to National Socialist Germany. You notice, of course, that they always. Uh, the left will always refer to the Nazis. The Nazis never referred to themselves as Nazis. They were national socialists. At any rate, the point that I wanted to make was back then a certain category of people were first forced to wear a particular thing as well and were pathologized by the state, uh, literally in hygienic terms, as a bacillus, as a germ, as something that constituted a threat to the body politic. Does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's been interesting, some of the different... uh uh, I'm going to use the word manipulation techniques that, that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. It started out as, hey, if you don't wear the mask, you're going to die. And then it started into, yeah. to morph into something like, well, but the responsible thing to do to keep from spreading the disease is this. Now it's coming down to if you truly care about others, this is what you're going to yeah. do. And, and I think we're, we're rapidly approaching, hey, everybody, look, it's fashionable. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many facets, so many ways to look at this. Uh, Let's start with uh, what the authorities, what the science said. Three months ago, we had Fauci and the Surgeon General saying, don't wear the mask. The mask is essentially useless unless it's an N95 and custom-fitted and regularly changed. Now they come forward and say, oh, actually, we were lying about that because we wanted to make sure that the health responders had the mask. So, okay, now we're supposed to listen to admitted liars about anything? That's one point to make. Uh, The second point to make is that all of this is premised, as you said, on this idea that everybody's going to die. Remember the two to three million and then the hundreds of thousands? Well, we got that's their language, presumptive corona deaths. Uh, Of those, 60,000 are confirmed over how many months now? Six months? Work out that math, if you like. That works out to something like 200 cases per state of people who've died over the past six months. And on that basis, they have PTSD'd and hystericized the populace into this state of cringing paranoia where everybody is supposed to regard not only themselves but everybody else as essentially a separating leper, walk around dressed like Michael Jackson, standing six feet apart from each other, and be demoralized and live that way in perpetuity. It is, it is pathological. It's insane. Well, and it's very uncomfortable for those of us who say... I'm not going to play that game. 
And it's not because yeah. it's not because I'm pretending that, you know, coronavirus doesn't exist. I'm still very careful. You know, it's like I've, I've told my listeners, I've stopped sneezing in people's mouths. That's one of my contributions to, you know, the well, better yeah. health. But I, right. I, I refuse to I refuse to jump on the bandwagon when there's really no clear and and um, easily enunciated reason for doing so. Well, there actually is. There's there's the opposite. Uh, and again, they, the experts, the scientists, scientists that we're supposed to truckle to endlessly have said this publicly, which is that if you are not sick, if you are not displaying symptoms of sickness, you cannot get other people sick. Walking around with a mask on when you're not sick is as ridiculous as walking around with a diaper on below if you're continent. It's, it's a way to degrade people and to demoralize them. And I think that right now this push uh, for the, uh, the mandatory diapering, which comes at the moment in time where now we know what the actual numbers are, as opposed to what the, the gory uh, asserted numbers were months and months ago. They're pushing it even harder now, and I think they're doing that because they have to keep that fear bubble inflated, and they have to pre- prevent any visual manifestation of dissent, meaning if, they, if people are walking around without the face diaper and people aren't dropping dead because of it, it kind of punctures the balloon, and perhaps it will lower the fear, which will make it much harder for these people to continue to exert the political control that they've become so used to at this point. Oh, I think you're spot on. In fact, I, I believe that those same authorities fear something that is much more contagious than even the coronavirus, and that is courage. It only takes a few examples yep. of courage, and people start to catch it. That's it. Yeah, and that's the other reason to not diaper up. It's to show others that you can do it without risking being beaten down by the state or other people. In fact, I did it the other day. Uh, a store called Earth Fair, I don't know if you guys have that where you are, uh, reopened here in the Roanoke area, and they had the the very uh, ominous-looking sign out in front you know, saying that you must wear a diaper to go inside, and I just walked right on in without it. Nobody said anything to me, and I think it's important to do that, and it's important to not let them cement this image of of everybody is sick because everybody's walking around with a mask on it's theater it is designed to perpetuate this 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 miasma of death in, is in the air and this is how we have to live our lives forever going forward i also see people though trying the approach of well now eric i don't understand why would it be so hard to wear a mask for an hour while you're grocery shopping and and I would love to get well, your take. Oh my how, gosh. How, how do we answer you know the, such a common sense plea? Well, there's multiple ways to add, to answer it. First, of course, it's just that it's silly. I, you know, if somebody uh, if somebody else's neurotic fear does not impose an obligation on me to ease their anxieties by going through some kind of pantomime performance, if I have a crazy uncle who thinks he's Napoleon, I'm not going to address him as Le Emperor. That's that's the first point. Um, the second point is that it actually is unhealthy on a number of levels. It's unhealthy physically, it's unhealthy psychologically. We need to breathe. You wear a mask and you can't breathe well. Not only that, you're rebreathing all your own germs. You're also capturing your own germs. It's a messy, ugly, awful mess. And then in terms of psychology, we don't see each other's faces anymore. We're human beings and we react to one another based on cues such as smiling or frowning. How do you interact with people when you can't read those facial cues anymore and when everybody is regarding everybody else as a separating leper. And, oh, my gosh, i got to stay away from you. You're going to give me something. This right. is not a normal way to live life. Well, I, my, my answer always comes back to, in part, hey, conformity is easy. 
doing whatever the crowd is doing, that's the easy route to go. Now, on the other hand, sussing things out for yourself and and deciding for yourself whether or not the crowd is doing the mm-hmm. right thing, that takes a little more effort. And in some cases, it takes a little bit of courage because the crowd is going to put a lot of peer pressure on you. And we cannot let them cement this insane idea, this evil idea, this tyrannical idea that because something might happen, everybody has to be presumptively assumed of having done it and has to accept restrictions for things that they haven't done. Uh, you know, it's analogous. You can, you can look at this so many different ways. Uh, I, I might, my, my right arm might, you know, lash out and punch somebody in the face. You know, I've got the I've got the capability of doing that. So does sure. that mean I have to have my arm strapped to the side of my body because somebody is <laughs> terrified that I might punch them? Do we have to get rid of all swimming pools that are deeper than a foot because some people can't swim and they're terrified of drowning and granny might die? Where does it end? Well, you know, there are some people who engage in insensitive language, so I guess we should all be fitted with a ball gag, you know, before we go out in public. That's that's exactly it. So essentially, by wearing the diaper, you are exceeding to this idea that the state, henceforth, will have unlimited power, summon your Emperor Palpatine voice, to do anything that it likes to any of us by simply asserting that, well, something bad might happen, Granny might die. I'm with you on this one, Eric. And, and look, I I will not shame a person for wearing the mask because I know people have different degrees of understanding. They We're all in a different place as far as, you know, looking out for ourselves. But I, I think that respect has to be a two-way street. And I don't, I don't like that, uh, you know, I'm suspect because in my risk assessment, I've decided it's not worth putting the mask on. Well, of course, that's the issue here. We're not saying that somebody who is terrified of whatever hasn't got the right to take whatever precautions they feel necessary. Six months ago, nobody was saying that Michael Jackson couldn't go into a store wearing a mask and gloves if he wanted to. I mean, he, he has every right to do that if he wants to. But what they don't have the right to do is to force us to uh, to abide by their neuroses and their anxieties uh, and behave in the manner that they they believe that everybody should behave simply because that's how they feel. Sorry. No, I'm with you there. We've got to take a quick break again. My guest is Eric Peters from epautos.com. I hope you'll go to his website when we come back. We have a holiday approaching this weekend, and Eric and I are going to talk a little bit about what exactly we are celebrating. I'm going to warn you right now. There may be some hard truths ahead, but we'll be better for having discussed them. We'll be back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. back. Welcome to the Brian Hyde Show. My guest is Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, it's uh, Independence Day coming up here in just a couple of days, and you have Mm -hmm. an excellent essay, Farce or Freedom, this 4th. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be celebrating this weekend. 
well, hopefully some of us will be selling, uh, celebrating our independence by not abiding by these, as they style them, guidelines. Don't you love the language as if they're just suggestions rather than decrees from the Gesundheitsführers, as I call them? Uh, the gist of the column is that this weekend, assert your independence to get together with your family, your friends, whoever you like, uh, and and do it which you can see you, you without the without the diaper on, seeing each other, hugging each other, shaking hands, having food, and behaving like normal Americans. I can think of nothing more pathetic and more depressing than the spectacle of a, of people standing six feet apart wearing their diapers watching the officially government-approved farce of July celebrations. Don't give them don't give them the satisfaction. Don't have anything to do with that sort of thing. Do your own thing. Be independent again. Be an American again. It's telling, too, how many different uh, venues or different uh, municipalities have actually gone ahead and just preemptively, well, we got to cancel it, folks. We can't possibly have a parade. Why? Uh, because coronavirus. Some are defiantly mm-hmm. doing I think it's Arizona is one of those shining beacons of uh, their governor said, we're not going to close everything down. We're not going to require everybody wear masks. We're just going to use common sense and we're going to live like free people. I wish that would catch on. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, liberty is something that we assert on our own rather than wait to take direction from leaders. So, you know, if you have a, a nice big yard, invite people over. It's your property. It's your yard. And if people want to voluntarily come, uh, remember the whole idea, the old ancient idea of free association that we've kind of lost? People come over. Have fun. Shoot fireworks. Eat food. Ignore the Gesundheitsführers. Put it on them. Let them hut, hut, hut you. I don't think they will. Uh, the media hasn't been covering it. There have been a number of cases now around the country where people have just said, you know what, we're not doing it. Uh, come arrest us. For example, the Carlisle car show that I think you and I talked about last week, which yep. is a big deal up in Pennsylvania. They backed down because there are going to be 100,000 people there who just wanted to see cars, watch the old cars, talk to people, buy parts. And it would have been a fiasco. It would have been a very ugly PR moment if the state had sent out uh, the SWAT teams of hut, hut, hutters to attack people trying to watch a car show. You know, there's there's something to be said, too, for an example you use in your essay, um, an analogy of how livestock are treated versus how how free people are treated in a, in a free society. Yep. yep. Livestock are herded. They're tagged. They're vaccinated, aren't they? They, are, they, they don't have freedom of movement. They are put down the chute. They're told where they're going to go. And we know what the ultimate destination of livestock is. That shouldn't be the destination of human beings in a free country. And we need to remember that. America was supposed to be a free country. And freedom includes the freedom to assume risk for yourself. Nobody is saying, let's go cough on granny. Nobody is saying granny can't stay home. Nobody is saying let's not exercise reasonable precautions, like if you feel sick, don't go see granny. Those things are all reasonable. What's going on now is not reasonable. It's a pretext. It's being used to manipulate people, to to terrorize people, and to get them to submit to outrageous things using peer pressure and this idea that somehow you're a bad person if you resist this tyranny. Well, and unlike livestock, we have the ability to either say, I will allow this or not. But but very few people seem willing to assert that uh, that autonomy right now. Yeah, well, they need to remember it. You know, people have been browbeaten in this country now for multiple generations that those things are wrong think, like you and I were talking about a little bit before we got on the air. Oh, it's right think. 
the thing that made America distinct, unique in the world, was that this was the place where you were the captain of your own ship and provided that what you're doing isn't hurting anybody. Not that it might, not this nonsense of, oh, somebody might hurt somebody. No, provided what you were doing wasn't causing actual harm to somebody else, you had a right to do your own thing, whether other people liked it or not. Yeah, I, and I think the the challenge before us, and and I know you work at helping people see this every single day, and what you do, is recognizing when you are being abused. You you don't have to tolerate abuse, but I think the hardest part right now is convincing people that no, you are being abused. Yep, exactly. Well, they, they've been shamed. It's horrible to watch them. I, it's so depressing to me to go outside and see these stoop-shouldered, furtive-looking people with their diapers on. They're they're literally like inmates in a prison now. The sad spectacle of people avoiding one another, uh, not being able to get together, not being able to go see a game, not being able to go see a concert, all of the things that define life. Life is being made intolerable in this country on the pretext of saving lives, which is nonsense. So let me ask you this, Eric. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. What will you be celebrating this fourth? Or maybe I should ask, how will you be celebrating this fourth? Well, you know what? The fourth for me is every day. Uh, As we were talking a little bit off the air just the other day, uh, I ignored another face diaper mandate. I I have never worn a face diaper, and I never will. I I went into a store in my area in Roanoke called Earth Fair that's recently reopened for business, and they had the the government-complicit shaming sign outside requiring the face diaper, and I just ignored it and walked right in. And I've been doing that relentlessly everywhere uh, to to show the flag, as it were, to show my face to give to flip the bird if you like at this insanity and i think that that's how we celebrate our freedom by do not comply do not comply uh people who remember history will remember at nuremberg what 70 years ago now in the rearview mirror people were held to account because they obeyed tyrannical laws instead of using their own moral compass and saying wait a minute this is wrong i'm not doing this i don't care if i've been ordered to do this This is wrong. I'm taking a stand. I'm not doing it. Uh, Times are a little bit different now, but that principle is the same, and I think it needs to be reestablished. Well, what you're saying bears out the idea that freedom isn't just what you do in your actions, but it, it starts with what you carry in your heart. I love that you're saying every day to me is the 4th of July, and I think more Mm -hmm. people ought to consider living like that. I do, too. And if we do that, we'll get America back. If we don't, America is gone. Eric, I want to shift gears in in the final uh, uh, two and a half minutes we have here. Um, Black Lives Matter getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, we just had a shooting in Provo, Utah, which is one of the the calmest and most crime-free areas in the whole state of Utah. But uh, these protests are are bringing a lot of attention to how uh, it is black lives that are imperiled by armed government workers. And yet uh, you had an article recently published on epautos.com about how skin color really isn't the determinant as to whether or not you're going to find yourself on the wrong end of abusive authority. No, in fact, the article that I just posted is one of several that I've posted recently uh, of uh, people who, um, whose white privilege didn't save them from being summarily executed by an armed government worker, uh, proving the point that this is not about race, it's about authority. It's been misdirected into a race issue to get us all at one another's throats rather than at the throats of the problem, which is out of control and not held accountable authority. That's the problem, which they don't want us talking about. 
which, uh, if, again, just to, to, to put this in the simplest terms that even I can understand, if that authority were reined in, if it were made accountable, if it were held to the same standard, you and I were held to, everybody, regardless of skin color or whatever grouping they may identify with, would be protected under those circumstances. Absolutely. Or at least when something goes awry, there would be accountability. What people are angry about legitimately is watching a video or finding out about an atrocity where somebody who happens to have government-issued authority as well as a government-issued weapon uh, does something absolutely inexcusable, unjustified, and horrible and gets away with it, essentially, uh, is not arrested, is not prosecuted. Or if he is arrested, if he is prosecuted, it's it's, it's in a kid glove manner as opposed to what would absolutely happen, justifiably, to you or I in the same circumstances if we did the same thing. And clearly that is something that has to change. People have to be held accountable under the law equally, which is what was intended by the Declaration of Independence. Eric, let's take 30 seconds and tell people about your website, where they can find it. Sure. It's epautos.com. Pretty easy to find. And of course, you can also duckduckgo my name and you can find all my articles that way as well. And I recently joined Parler, which is one of the new anti-Twitter social media platforms. And I, I strenuously recommend uh, that as many people who are listening to this do the same um, so that we can break the power of Twitter and Google and Facebook. Welcome back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. I'm Brian Hyde, and thank you so much for being part of my audience today. Okay, so we know it's pretty easy to find yourself on the wrong side of the mob. I know it's a very well-intentioned mob. They're only trying to, what, cure injustice or, you know, make things more equitable for everybody (coughs) that, that agrees with them. But how easy is it to find them even devouring their own? There's a young woman who has become rather famous on Twitter. I'm sure she would want me to mention her name. No, I'm not, I'm not going to help make her more famous. Bottom line is, she uh, she would very easily fit into the ranks of a social justice uh, crusader. And she made a comment recently that was widely tweeted and retweeted about how the next person I hear say that all lives matter, I'm going to stab them in the neck and watch them bleed out. Because that's what passes for tolerance in our day and age. And even though she is ostensibly lined up, you know, with the correct side, I mean, the, the uh, you know, social justice side, she signaled her virtue. She, you know, pronounced her willingness to get in there and, and, and be violent for the sake of upholding whatever it is that that is being sought in this particular crusade. But lo and behold, that cancel culture mentality Turns out that it works just as well against social justice types as it does against conservatives. Now, I don't want to make it sound like I'm celebrating like, oh, yeah, so it's a good thing. She had a very nice job, apparently was going to school, I believe, at Yale. Um, But here's the thing. I'm sorry. Maybe it was Harvard. She'd probably be really offended if I got those mixed up. But anyway, she had uh, she had schooling opportunities at a prestigious Ivy League institution. She had a very good job. And after her rant about anybody who says all lives matter, I'll stab you in the neck and watch you bleed out. When that became widely distributed 
She got kicked to the curb. She lost her job, and she was on Twitter, boo-hoo, oh, this is so unfair. And these Trump supporters just went out there, and they spread it to make me look bad and to get my job taken away. And, you know, with no sense of irony whatsoever, none. She can't even understand that what she was more than willing to do to others has now been done unto her. And again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm celebrating. I think it's, I think it's very sad that that's all it takes. A person popping off. I'm not even suggesting she's a horrible person. She chose her words poorly. It was unfortunate that she chose to post them on a platform that could send them worldwide, irretrievably, you know, to, to where she can't ever call those words back. Does she deserve to have her life destroyed? I don't think so. But in the same vein, I don't think that, that people who hold differing points of view, I don't think I deserve to have my life destroyed if I hold an unpopular opinion. But here we are. And I can see why it would be scary for people, all of us, in terms of speaking out. You know, when you see how, how easy it is to get a mob, an angry mob, on your case, trying to dox you, trying to, uh, you know, get you uh, deplatformed, and maybe in a sense deplatformed from however you make a living, if you're in someone else's employ, who the, co- the corporate world is only too quick to throw people to the lion's Out of a sense of what? Self-preservation? Virtue signaling? I don't know. But I can understand why people would say, man, maybe what what I need to do is just shut up and not say anything. And I want to suggest that that is the wrong answer. That is exactly what the social justice crusaders and intimidators want. They want you and me to be so unbalanced that we and and so fearful that anything we say, even something that was totally okay even a month ago, now is not. And therefore, you know, we have to be in fear. We're waiting for our cues from them. Am am I okay? Yeah, I'm a good boy, right? I'm a good boy. This is not the time to go silent. There's a terrific article by David Devil from intellectualtakeout.org. I think this was originally published on the Imaginative Conservative. No safety in silence. Listen to what he has to say. He says, silence is golden. Only, however, if it is the right kind of silence. Silence in the face of personal attacks or public crusades may be wise. Our collective guppy-like span of attention means that for many causes du jour or even du moment, it is often best to say nothing and wait it out. Many of them are silly and will be revealed to be so immediately. But, he warns, silence in the face of the many persistent causes of our time is not wise nor good for the body politic. David Devil says, for many years now, people of goodwill have been content to remain silent. In the face of many causes they find destructive, thinking they were simply, or they'll be able to simply wait out the ideological fevers. We don't speak out when people say that sexual behavior depends only upon consent, for morality. We don't speak out when people say that sex itself is merely a biological detail that has nothing to do with being a man or a woman. We do not speak out when people say the history of the United States is simply one of racism from beginning to end, or that the only way to explain racial disparities is to accept the diagnosis of critical race theory and blame systemic racism for everything that ails our country. This David Devil says, as this kind of silence has been destructive. Failure to speak encourages those pushing causes one finds destructive to continue to think that their ideas are simply unanswerable. 
Now, he says, I have no illusions that we live in an era in which rational argument holds much weight with the mob. Right? The mob doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Even facts are just going to bounce off them. He says, we would all love to imagine that a solid argument breaking down the foolishness of our age would have the power to convince others. Alas, as Christopher Dawson observed more than half a century ago, we live in an unphilosophical age. And even that part of it is that it is philosophical is sufficiently imbued with the clouded intellect accompanying original and actual sin to be confused in the face of clarity and all too often angry when the light is seen through the clouds. And he says, yet despite all that, all of our action is done both under the gaze of eternity and with the awareness that our actions may only bear fruit in a future conspicuous for our long absence. We speak out not merely for our own minute, but for possible ages to come. For the enemies of reason will always be shouting out to the crowd that no one can think a certain way. And he says, when you argue for your side, you indicate that not only can one think thus, but that you have done so yourself. Wow, think of how many areas that applies. He says, by breaking silence, you do not merely give others reason for thinking in reasonable ways. More importantly, you give others courage to speak out themselves. Those who shout out so that no one can think this way, that no one can think this way, aren't really giving an argument so much as a warning. The warning is you will be alone if you think this way. You'll be even more isolated if you dare to raise your head up and say no. So it's easy to see why many of us are silent. Silence has heretofore been a kind of safety. And the old dictum that silence is consent persuades us to think that maybe we can pass if we simply remain silent. Well, the older practice of regarding as bullies people who force others to say uncle, even when they did not want to wrestle in the first place, makes us think that we can win by not entering the ring, by staying above the fray. But he says, today people don't know much about old dictums, nor do they believe that anyone should be allowed to give way gently in the public sphere while still keeping to his or her conscience. The reality is that the old-fashioned notion of a conscience is simply not accepted. Conscience relates to what ought to be done here and now, according to one's understanding of the still, small voice that is nevertheless the echo of the divine voice. And without that understanding of the divine voice, there is no tolerance, even if the watchword is tolerance. The revolutionary spirit is among us and silence is treated as violence. One cannot simply join in the conversations of the day and expect to be left alone. One must also repeat the phrases. One must offer the pinch of incense and a healthy pinch at that or face the prospect of being canceled. So you may not be interested in radical politics. But alas, the practitioners of radical politics are interested in you. He says, no, there is no safety in silence today. Now, this is a blessing in a way. If you know you cannot stay silent, you are now faced with a choice. Will I speak the truth as best I can see it or simply join in the shouting of the crowd? But he warns the latter way is the loss of your soul and a greater triumph of the violence of noise in the society in which you've been placed. The crowd always loves to shout, crucify, crucify. And so he says, do not stay silent. Do not shout. Calmly speak the truth about the issues of the day, whether they be about race or sex, what I think is one of the most important ones for our present moments, class. 
you can acknowledge the difficulties in race relations without resorting to strange theories about the evil of whiteness. You can accept there are problems in modern policing without speaking nonsensically about defunding the police. You can have sympathy for the difficulties of those with gender dysphoria without accepting the notion that being a man or a woman is simply a matter of what one feels. He says you may well lose people you thought were friends. You may find that your mobility is no longer upward as it once was. Your public voice may even be canceled. But he says the still small voice of conscience will never be canceled. And the silence that follows acting upon it is truly golden. just like that we are back this is the brian hyde show i just love that essay that i was able to share with you in the last uh, segment from david devil about there is no safety in silence and look if i have a goal for what i do day in and day out when i slip behind this microphone and hold forth as uh, as only i can do i want to hopefully give you a little shot of courage and I'm, and I'm trying to give myself a shot of courage in the same you know swoop i want to get that done so that we have the courage to speak up and to say what needs to be said and, and to draw from one another's uh, example that we are strong enough to, to speak the truth. I've heard it said, speak the truth even if your voice shakes. I think this is the time where the world really needs people who are willing to speak the truth. And I don't just mean stand there and yell it at people. Speak the truth with love. Take the blows. Keep speaking the truth. I think the best explanation I've heard is from Paul Rosenberg, who says, you know, if you, if you feel like it's a competition, right? Every time you get on social media, I'm going to hold forth and I got to prove people wrong or I've got to prove myself right. He says, relax. That whole need to win is really overrated. And it's actually what keeps us from being able to to touch people in ways that will, will cause them to reconsider or to at least ponder. Well, maybe there is something to what's being said here. But the bottom line is, if you're trying to win, if you're just trying to dominate them, it's never going to happen. Speak the truth with love. Take the hits. Keep on smiling. Let them come to the truth on their own terms. And I know it's, it's easier said than done, especially when someone is sharpening daggers for you, as the mob will often do. But that's the way to cause minds that have been closed like steel traps to slowly start to open. You know, as you look around and, and again, as you see some of the some of the, the violence and unrest that's going on around us, I get it. It's really disturbing. And, and you have to ask yourself, and maybe it's just because, uh, you know, Independence Day is approaching. But is, is this what tyranny looks like? Is this what it feels like? There's a great article from Annie Holmquist, who is the editor of intellectualtakeout.org. Tyranny without a tyrant. And I love that she she actually goes to Hannah Arendt who knew a lot about what real tyranny was. I believe she lived through the Third Reich. She lived through uh, much of the horrors of World War II. And she had some very great insights on the root and growth of violence. Annie Holmquist says, It's funny how peaceful all this recent protesting for change has been. In fact, it's so peaceful that average Americans trying to go about their lives as normally as possible are simply surrounded by the love and feelings of euphoria. 
Now, she says, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek, of course, because it's the exact opposite that seems to be the case. In fact, earlier this week here in my home state of Utah, she talks about the video of a Black Lives Matter protest in Provo that's the latest high-profile example. According to media reports, the video shows a 16-year-old, a 60-year-old local driving through Provo during a Black Lives Matter protest. Now, the vehicle is quickly surrounded by protesters, one of whom pulls a gun and shoots through the passenger window. The injured driver guns it, hightailing it out of the area while protesters try to stop him, the shooter sending another bullet through the rear passenger window. Now, police later arrested 33-year-old Jesse Taggart in connection with the shooting. Reports indicate he also attempted further violence following the incident. Now, Annie Holmquist says, unfortunately, we can't chalk this up to a one-time incident by a crazed person in a southwestern town because many of our largest cities have experienced similar incidents of violence. Even Chaz slash Chop, the allegedly peaceful people's utopia in Seattle, has given way to violence. Clearing the area on July 1st, officials cited violence as the main reason why the unlawful assembly could no longer continue. Quote, enough is enough. The chop has become lawless and brutal. Four shootings, two fatal. Robberies, assaults, violence, and countless property crimes have occurred in this several block area. That's from the authorities, by the way, in Seattle. And Annie Holmquist asks, why all this violence? Where will it end? How do we make sense of everything that we're going through right now? Well, philosopher Hannah Arendt pondered similar questions 50 years ago during the riots and social upheaval of the late 1960s. Writing in the New York Review of Books, she noted how racial injustice drives violence, but cautioned that violence does not promote causes. It only serves to dramatize grievances and to bring them to public attention. Violence, Arendt theorized, often emerges in heavily bureaucratized societies. The greater the bureaucratization of public life, the greater will be the attraction of violence. This is how Hannah Arendt puts it. Quote, in a fully developed bureaucracy, there is nobody left with whom one could argue, to whom one could present grievances, on whom the pressures of power could be exerted. Bureaucracy is the form of government in which everybody is deprived of political freedom, of the power to act. For the rule by nobody is not no rule, and where all are equally powerless, we have a tyranny without a tyrant. The crucial feature in the students' rebellions around the world is that they are directed everywhere against the ruling bureaucracy, end quote. Now, Annie Holmquist says it's hard to deny that we live in a bureaucratized state. Just look at the, few first mo- the first few months of COVID-19, in which government agencies ruled the roost with predictions, models, and dictates on proper protocols for handling the virus. Or consider the many other bureaucracies which rule our lives through schools, social work, businesses, and more ordinary government regulations. She says, perhaps we shouldn't be so surprised when we see society lash back at this form of tyranny without a tyrant. But, she says, Hannah Arendt cautions that violence which lasts more than a short time can never end well. Arendt says, quote, still the danger of the practice of violence, even if it moves consciously within a non-extremist framework of short-term goals, will always be the means, be that the means overwhelm the end. If goals are not achieved rapidly, the result will not merely be defeat, but the introduction of the practice of violence into the whole body politic. Action is irreversible, and a return to the status quo in the case of defeat is always unlikely. The practice of violence, like all action, changes the world, but the most probable change is 
a more violent world. End quote. Wow. Does that not describe what we see unfolding before us? Annie Holmquist says violence and corruption have been a regular part of American life for several weeks now. The moves to disband Chaz slash chop because of this violence show that some leaders are beginning to put their feet down and stand up for law and order. But will such a trend continue? If we want to live in a violent society, then according to Aaron, we should just continue the cycle we've practiced for the last few weeks. But Annie Holmquist says if we want again, once once again, to be a peaceful productive society, working for the good of our families, friends, and communities. We need to stand against the violence before it's too late to turn back. So let's take a moment here and just kind of work through what would that look like to stand against the violence? I'll give you an example. This was from yesterday, again, in Provo, where there was another, you know, a protest against police brutality by Black Lives Matters. There was also a counter protest in support of the police. And I noticed that a call went out early yesterday on social media saying, well, we're going to come and we're going to stand for the police. But I encourage, you know, the people arm yourselves and basically let's show up in our tactical gear and with with rifles to show that we are not to be messed with. On the one hand, I can admire that there are people willing to shoulder this responsibility. On the other hand, I get the I get the sense that this is kind of like handing a bottle of whiskey and the car keys to a handful of teenage boys and saying, now, be careful. Because it's just it's injecting the potential for trouble into an already troublesome mix. And I'm going to try to speak without without painting with too broad a brush here, but um, let's just say one of the hallmarks of a lot of these Black Lives Matters protests has been um, a willingness on the part of the protesters to get violent. There doesn't even have to be a good reason for it. Case in point, a couple of nights ago in Salt Lake City, there was another rally, another Black Lives Matters rally. And one of the speakers was an immigrant, a lady, a single mom who was here from Sweden. And she talked about, you know, the difficulty of integrating into a society of being the other, being on the outside, and was very well received, at least from, from what uh, I was reading in the news report. The protesters, you know, warmly welcomed her. They welcomed her message as she spoke to them. But when she went to leave the protest, when she went and got in her minivan and was ready to drive away, she said she felt the mood of the crowd turn and, and they, they couldn't perceive her from anybody else that they were trying to intimidate behind the wheel of their cars. She was surrounded. People were threatening. They were cursing. And she, these were the same people who ostensibly were welcoming her just a short time before. That's the danger of the mob mentality. And so what I'm suggesting here is, yes, we need to stand. But standing like a mob I don't think is going to uh, give us the relief that we're seeking. So what is the answer? Well, here's my answer. I don't have an answer for you. (laughs) So what do you think of that? We can talk about this in the next hour, but there has to be a better way with trying to out-violent people who are prone to violence. Let's talk about that coming up in the next hour. 